Find the Show with me, Swimming Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss what is the purpose of fathers? Tim. Fatherhood is not that common in the animal kingdom, to use an animal analogy. Uh, and plenty of animals don't have fathers in the sense that there is co that the sense there's a co-caretaker. That is something that humans, I'm not sure about other uh, high mammals, so to speak, but that is something definitely that humans have. And obviously certain types of animals, um, there is a mating requirement for males. I am well aware of that. I'm not denying that. But but humans, um, human babies and human children in particular are quite helpless. So humans have two-parent um, raising strategies here. Uh, and so do birds also have two parent raging strategies. Plenty of animals just come out um, completely, you know, ready to go, like lizards and so forth. They don't even need parents at all. Um, but humans have, of course, uh, two parent raising strategies. Again, once the act is done, the male, in a sense, and this is what feminists somewhat complain about, the male is basically finished um, his work, including the human things. So this asymmetry, again, is something which feminists like to claim about. But I would say if science is real, which is so many lawn signs says, in a sense, biology is at some level sexist. So why then are there fathers in the human, you know, human civilization, so to speak? They aren't technically needed, as mentioned here, after like the initial, uh, after the initial event. Um, and as technology increases, I'd argue they're going to be less needed here. But if we ever get a test two baby, is a good question here. But we do have in, of uh, in vitro and uh, sperm donors. Um, there's a pop evolution argument which suggests that that two-parent um, households have better survival strategies, or extended family households have better survival strategy, and that's why you get family, uh, or families, you know, the kind of monogamy here. But one thing to point out, and Udwin points this out too, is that, um, is that um, in polygamy, which is you have one male and many females, it's actually a fairly common mating strategy here, where you have just one father, you know, like, you know, any 10, 10 wives and hundreds of children, so to speak. Maybe not hundreds, but but a number of them. Um, so one argument is that, and, and Unwin somewhat attacks us and argues that monogamy, strict monogamy, um, unleashes more, uh, you know, technological and sort of social energy because it it, 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 uh, it reduces the sexual marketplace. Um, to, it cuts down the monopolizing of sexual marketplaces, and it gives parents. In particularly, it gives children more time with their fathers, too. So um, that, that, that's one answer. Fathers beget fathers. And that's sort of what um, um, that's sort of like the implicit argument in the fundamentalist shall inherit the earth. You know, the more patriarchal societies or patriarchal light societies where they have involved fathers of some variety um, um, have a, have a uh, thing. So fathers beget fathers. So maybe fathers just exist because, well, they're in a successful strategy to propagate more people. And moving away from sort of like social evolutionary arguments, um, and I just want to quick deal with the Freudian analysis, which may came up. You know, I like my parents, so I don't really have, you know, to the extent that I, I have no criticism of them. Um, so the idea that somehow I dislike my father is why I'm doing, that's not in any ways what I'm doing here. So moreover, one of the things which often goes missed by advocates of traditional households um, is that if the father is working outside the home long hours or even decent hours, and this is something that's was different back in the day, so to speak, um, where working hours in, in the Industrial Revolution were much higher. Um, the father is effectively absent for many hours a week. Um, this analysis, I mean, 
I mean, this analysis, by the way, is what I was raised in. I mean, I this is my, not to go too much into my background, but I had a you know, this rough analysis, stay-at-home mother, professional class father, you know, working outside the home. And you factor in commuting or walking, um, the amount of time they're away is very high. So technically, this type of household puts the women in charge um, effectively um, for much of the day, uh, uh, so to speak. Uh, and I don't think this... So, so one purpose of fathers is just breadwinner or money maker. Um, you just, you know, they go out and make money, or they make money for society, or they make money for their their children and their wives, or wives or wives for that matter. Uh, and I, I don't think this bargain isn't malicious per se. Um, I think there's a danger of being a, simply a weird version of a mobile UBI libertarian Marxist. Somebody has to make resources for society. And in this case, and I think men still. Married men with children, I think, still are the most productive economic unit in the West. Um, I think they still out-earn almost everybody else in terms of working hours, in terms of... Now, I would argue there's a lot of selection effects involved in there, um, but there are the most productive sort of, like, cohort, so to speak, um, and most socially, you know, the men who aren't married in general are... And, and I, you have to use sort of common law. You know, because if you have a long-term girlfriend, you're functionally married in a certain sense anyway. But in this sense, men are still the most productive thing. So, again, this goes back to the father's begin, father's argument. Um, um, so you can, so there's a number of things. You can blame evolution for this sort of – you can blame social – you can blame, like, scarcity on, like, why certain types of families, formations, forms. Um, but, you know, what is the purpose of fathers here? They aren't really explicitly needed. Um, and again, the animal kingdom, fathers are sort of a, a, a scarce variety, even on the animals that have raising or that they are, quote unquote, raised, not just hatched and be ready to go. So, them, so what do you make moneymaker for, for society and their children? Um, I mean, the mainstream official culture, which I don't really follow with a capital um, F is quite which capital C is quite negative to, to fathers. I've got to add. Would you agree? And what do you make of the purpose of fathers, Swithin? Well, I would say that um, society as a whole has, is not hugely uh, favourable towards fathers in general. Um, and I think this is largely due to the influence of the welfare state, because I think the breadwinner aspect, I think, in a sense, is the most fundamental in a sociological uh, sense. Um the fact that the child is born and is helpless and can't do anything and also it renders the mother essentially um uh, well, not useless but but significantly impaired for any sort of economic activity outside of the home uh for any meaningful um time because of you know, breastfeeding the recovery after birth etc that uh, resources are needed and so well who would seem to be the most likely to uh, provide that would, would be the father because typically the um, father will have the most interest in, in the uh, children and uh, his wife or uh, partner of some description uh, and so in that sense uh, the breadwinning aspect is uh, the most important. Um, and so clearly to the extent that you have uh, welfare is the extent to which the father is unimportant. Now, 
I would distinguish, though, here the modern welfare system from a system of charity run by churches and other organisations. Those historic ones tend to be more personal. Um, there, seemed, there was a general view that if you didn't need to, you shouldn't take charity because you knew who you were taking the money from. It wasn't like just a vending machine and you put, oh, I have, uh, you know, you press in the, the appropriate code to say that I am poor in certain respect, give me money. And so it's just like a vending machine process. I think that changes the um, the dynamic somewhat. Um, so I think that's the reason, for instance, why polygamy, or more technically polygyny, um, is relatively stable because, well, the father can just you know provide resources to all his wives and children. Um, and so in a sense, is is relatively uh, stable. Now, that said, is the father merely an economic unit? Well, uh, I don't think so for multiple reasons. One, um, the father is generally important for the psychological well-being of the mother. Uh, and if the mother has a good relationship with the father, this um well, means that the unit will be generally uh, happier and will then provide a um, a more stable environment for the child to to grow up with. Also psychologically, not just uh, numerically. So, for instance, I I think it would. Well, this would be an interesting test of I wouldn't suggest testing it in a proper empirical sense if you could have a mother and a child who just picks up lots of checks and can live relatively um, um economically securely compared with the situation with the father is there to some extent uh, we, i can discuss the long working hours in the second is an interesting area um i think that the general sort of psychological health of the um of the family is likely to be better in the case where the father is around. Another interesting point to make here as well is, uh, I don't know if this is universally true, but it seems to be the case that children who are born of sperm donors or children who are adopted have a great interest in who their biological father is, or just in general, their biological parents. Um, so that there is a sense in which People want to know where they came from, and this provides value in some way. As to exactly how, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it does seem to be the case that the children in general, knowing who your father is and the father having a good relationship with your mother, such so you have a good relationship with your father, provides a strong basis in which to act in the world. Um, I've heard stories. But, um, you know, I mean, an obvious example here is divorce, although you could argue this is a different situation because you have a uh, because you knew your father and the father then left, which is different from them not being there. But let's just take it as a as a, an approximate case that we can discuss. I mean, you could always make the argument that it would have been worse if the father would have stayed around. In most cases, um, it would seem I've come across divorce is does not have a good impact on the children. Far from it. And I've also heard things, even in the case where um, parents, that the children are adults and the parents divorce when the 
parents adults that also has a large negative impact we, in a way which you wouldn't expect because you think well if you're developing that would make um that that, that would have a big impact but when you're older would it really and from what i've read that seems to be the case which i think maybe then goes back to the idea of stability uh that having the mother and father around uh makes um now to the um working outside the home i do think that's relevant and i do think makes um uh, minimizes well makes fatherly impact less um positive um if they're not around that much although i suppose that there is a, a minimum amount that they would be required to be around to be sort of sociologically considered a father and i do think the breadwinner working out i'll put it this way i think in many circles there is too much emphasis placed upon just earning more and climbing the corporate ladder for the sake of doing so rather than figuring out why you're doing it and it would be the case that in some cases if not many cases it would be better if the husband and father worked fewer hours earned slightly less um and spent was able to be around and put more direct um input into the children in a way in which would would have been existent in a pre-industrial household um although obviously this is going to be context dependent on various other factors but i do think it would be beneficial if uh there was a general feeling that i should try and be around and input the children as as much as reasonably possible and if i had a choice beyond between earning more money and commuting further and, and not commuting as far earning a bit less that obviously depending on the magnitudes being around more would be better uh, and this tends to be the case of people on the deathbed i mean rick story has pointed this out you know one big regret of men is not spending as much enough time with their children uh, so i think that's borne out even in sort of uh, uh, autobiography in some extent so um, that would be my somewhat um rambling explanation of fathers says which uh, I think some tailors think is unique to modernity, but I think it existed in the past too, um, in the sense that on the one hand, um, to be a successful person, in particularly a male, but I'll just expand it to person in general. You know, there's a, there's an idea that requires like 16,000 hours or something like that. Where it requires a number of hours that you have to do to, to quote unquote make it, so to speak. You can't just do you can't do something well. You know, I think Elon Musk has the joke. Uh, nothing was ever nothing worthwhile was ever accomplished on 40 hours a week. Uh, you know, I, and again, I know Elon Musk, welfare king, as as you know, they're all subsidized by the government. But I think that mentality um, is basically, um, I think that mentality is basically correct. Like, you know, if you want to be a great piano player, if you want to be a great, um, you know, warrior, if you want to be a great sailor, if you want to be a great anything on some level, you have to sort of put in a lot of hours um, um, and, and, and pull it off. Interesting enough, on the female side of the thing, um, one of the interesting things that, that you pointed out is that the idea that women could have both, and we should have discussed this in the Marxist, why aren't Marxists, why are Marxists so supportive of feminist episode, feminism episode? One of the things we pointed out was that that on some level, if, if, if women can be stay-at-home mothers um, and full they can't be both full-time mothers and full-time whatever piano players wage slaves 
whatever you want to call them. Um, you can't do you can't in effect do both very well. And I always thought it was interesting that like the Catholics and to some extent the Orthodox, although the Book of Timothy says otherwise, possibly. Well, that's just for eldership. The, the Christian leadership was supposed to be just single men um, in a sense. Um, you know, you know, again, Paul, uh, Timothy, uh, various others were, uh, you know, Christ himself was all single men. So I do think there's a tension that exists in the sense that, you know, there's a reason why part time workers aren't paid as much as full time workers. And I, I think that that reason, I mean, you could say that reason is sort of scarcity is bad. Uh, you, know, again, you could root this back to evolution or the Garden of Eden. You know, why is there scarcity in the world? And so to speak, well, you know, you know like you can't be a part time 747 pilot. You know, that just doesn't make sense. You can't be a part time admiral or a part time, you know, fisherman out on the, you know, a lot of you know, high productive, successful jobs just require you to be away, so to speak. And this is this shows up with like um, this also used to show up with like modern women in particular, but older women like er, ladies of aristocracy, so to speak, they didn't know their children, so to speak, uh, because they were expected to be in court or they expected to be, you know, professional socialites. So they, you know, their children were largely raised by uh, nannies and others not them themselves. So maybe the yeoman farmer model is the ideal where, you know, you have, you know, everyone sort of works communally. But you you posted an article, which is interesting, which sort of made fun of the fact that men who spend too much time around their wives and children aren't fully men. They're sort of housemen. So I think that comment is is somewhat interesting here. But I do think there is a tension. What do you make of that tension, Swithin? And what do you make of, you know, the idea like nothing good is 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 accomplished, you know, uh, on, you know, 40 hours, so to speak. And that's true for women, too. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think any woman who's a CEO of Lockheed can be a successful mother or the prime minister of England can be, you know, you know, the, the, uh, 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 particularly involved parent for better or worse. There might be arguments that uncertain levels of involvement is pernicious. And I actually agree with this to some level um, that, like, you know, there's too much helicopter parenting and there's too much of that. So maybe in a certain sense, having parents away somewhat, although they'll just, they'll just rounded off to daycares, which had the same kind of like nanny state there, too. So that, that's what do you make of that tension, Swithin, on the with respect to the purpose of fathers and men? Swithin? I, I'm generally in agreement with the Elon Musk claim. I think that's certainly true, um, that a lot of uh, great works, as it were, are achieved by putting an inordinate amount of hours in. Um, I suppose then the question is, well, uh, when it relates to fathers, you know, what do these men do? Now, I suppose you could argue that uh, sociologically speaking, of course, you're probably going to want these guys to reproduce at some point because, well, good genes um, is, is what you would want. Uh, and also you could additionally make the claim that you probably don't want them to have um you probably don't want them to have children too late because I'm pretty sure it's the case that male sperm declines in quality after a certain age. I don't remember what it is. I think it's probably 50. Um, so we have a bit of an issue here is because if this guy does reproduce and has a wife and children or whatever, uh, how is he going to be a good husband, uh, be a, a good father? This is an interesting question. Well, I suppose the easiest way around this to some extent is uh to say that firstly we need 
a, a, a society in which people can start working on whatever they need to work on to get those hours in as early as possible, uh, which of course then would mean, well, getting rid of the schooling system as it's currently constituted. So that from the, so instead of actually working usefully only reasonably from like the age of 21, if you go to uh, university, um, that you can do it from 14 or 12, then that's an additional like seven years that you can work. Um, also, um, nor I think it probably already exists. Because I mean, Keith Preston has talked about it, and it effectively is the normalised situation whereby for some high-status men, they marry at like the age of 45 and their wife is 20. Um, that, in certain circumstances, seems to be the best thing to do. Assuming they are married, because obviously one thing you could say is they just they just remain single. Um, um, which is interesting for the development uh, for medieval Europe, because a lot of the most intelligent men basically were celibate and uh, went to the monastery, um, which is, I believe, one of the arguments. I can't remember if this is exactly what Richard Lynn argues, um, that one of the reasons why the Jews are so intelligent is because the rabbis were the most intelligent, but the rabbis had loads of children. Uh, because they were married and, you know, uh, have pro pronatalism was part of the culture. And there was high social status attached to the rabbi. He had relative amounts of wealth. And so he basically his children survive where others would die. Um, so in the case of having to put lots of hours in, I think probably it's more of a case of encouraging people to do that as young as possible uh, and doing the great work. And then being able to step back a little bit at some point and then marrying and then having children. Uh, this would not necessarily be normative for everybody. Um, but I think that's probably the best way that you can do it. Uh, also, as well, is if you're going to do like this, these great things, it's unlikely that you continue to do it all. I mean, uh, for instance, obviously. Um, Bill Gates is dubious in certain respects, but his development of, of home computing software was very, very good and beneficial and changed the world. But basically, his major innovation had been done by 1995. I mean, yes, OK, Windows has developed since then, but essentially since Windows 95, it's very if you looked at Windows 95, so it's today, it, it is it is similar. And the major innovation took place within like 10, 20 years. Uh, and so it's unlikely, I think, that someone does continually pulls out stops and does great work for the rest of their life. Um, so even if that said, though, of course, even if they're still sort of CEOs or um, step back a bit from it, they might have work more hours than others would. But I mean, it's going to depend on their circumstances. And I think just the idea that they need to focus on um to have some sort of familial focus is important uh, and i think that they would probably think so when they they sort of retired anyway so i think th that's the way i would try to square that um uh, problem what do you make of the the we talked about the tension of you know the 40 hours nothing's ever good at done on 40 hours and in the idea of you know involved fathers in particular do you think there's a you think fatherhood you brought up the rabbis example 
Um, do you think do you think the I, I could extend this to Abrahamic, although Islam is more um, uh, polygamous than uh, uh, monogamous, uh, so it might not be them. But you think fatherhood is a kind of and I, I sort of opened my argument, bring up sex and culture by Unlin and as well as the shall the fundamentalists inherently hurt. You think fatherhood um, is a kind of quote unquote um, superpower on some social or or you know, again whether evolution is you know, the case or not is a good question, but or you know more broadly you know animal model because animals that have two parents tend to be quite more um, complicated or interesting looking, so to speak, like eagles, you know some of the birds, so to speak, the animals that have some form of, you know, family structure. So families are kind of like a, a technology, I think whales and, and other things. Now, again, the, the, oftentimes the, the male, there's only one male and a bunch of, you know, very young, young males have to leave once they get older um, in these sort of like, you know, lion herds and type of things like that. Um, but you think fathers are kind of, a, 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 a you know, to use the Neil Ferguson um, term a killer app, so to speak, Spiton? Uh In a sense, yes. Um, predominantly due to their um, their psychological disposition is different from the mother, um, and so provides balance. I mean, the obvious thing is uh, risk aversion. Uh, women tend to be more risk averse than men. Uh, so typically in a way in which mothers could indulge their children and go, oh, are you OK if you get injured or whatever? Oh, no, don't do that. The father is much more likely to uh, be pushing um, the um, pushing them, uh, the children, um, which, of course, is good for the boys. And in, in certain respects, they don't feel that they're still, their uh, development is not their natural sort of inquisitiveness and sort of. Uh, aggression in a general sense it would be stunted by a single uh, female household uh, in a way that it is less likely to be done in a more in one where the father is around at least to some extent um, oh and, and as well actually I, I, I think actually having the father around is a moderating influence on the mother's um, risk aversion because she is of a situation where she has security in a way that she otherwise wouldn't have um, uh, now, now, of course, you can you can replicate this if you're very rich and polygamous. Um, but if you're relatively poor and you're a single mother, then you're unlikely to have um, a generalized feeling of security uh, that you might have otherwise if you're the father of your children was around financially and also physically. Um, so I think fathers are important um, in uh, that respect. Another way in which fathers are important is the impact on daughters that um, they provide a uh, a good model for the daughters to think about uh, manhood in general. And then, of course, future mate selection. Um, if they're of general view that, well, men just come and go um, and they don't stick around, then that is going to incline them to uh, higher time preference, uh, if I remember correctly in this context, uh, our selection when it comes to mating, um, which is probably not going to be one that is focused on long term um, 
ability of the father to provide resources and um and investments in the children on the other hand it's just going to be oh i just have sex have kids and well i'll just leave them to it uh now of course there is the problem of overparenting, which i would agree with uh, but in general it would seem to be the case for development of civilization in general a longer having a generally speaking having a longer term horizon is going to be more beneficial than being short-termist in general and so I think those are a few ways in which fathers can uh, encourage appropriate um, risk uh, risk taking uh, and and moderate uh, risk aversion and also provide a good role model for daughters. The risk taking non risk taking dichotomy is an interesting point here with respect to men and women. I think. I think in general, males, and this shows up in sort of car accident data, uh, males in general are involved, you know, as well as other sort of dangerous sports, males represent most of the, um, most of the, you know, a significant portion of fatalities, so to speak, are, are men. So I think that's a sort of good intuitive way to sort of empirically back up the claim that men are more risk-taking and women are less risk-taking, so to speak. What, what percentage of being, you know, a male, so to speak, is being a father. And a correlated question to this point is related to celibacy. Now, you get the sort of incel phenomena, but you, sort of, you brought up the monasteries, and I also brought up the point about, um, I've also brought up the point about in Christianity that many of the key people in the New Testament are celibate, or at least probably celibate, or at least it's not explicitly named, so to speak, Again, whether or not Christianity is true, again, but Christianity is influential. So even if it's not true, it's influential, um, which means it should be discussed and not only discussed. It's you know, if plenty of people view them as role models, then, you know, by definition, that's going to be what people do, so to speak. Uh, and I think we still live in a sort of Christian haunted society, too. So so my my question here is, is a is a male without children in some sense, you know, male, you know, one of the critiques some reactionary people make of Christianity is it's a moderately feminized religion. Again, now the Old Testament I think is a little different, and I think the uh, and I think the um, I think the I think you have to sort of divorce heresy from doctrine, heresy from orthodoxy. Although you get into a lot of rabbit holes, it's it becomes somewhat unclear here on um, what exactly is and isn't the case here, and you know just because. That happened in the past doesn't mean necessarily it's going to happen now. And you do have different technological factors, industrialization, new technologies, which we discussed in the, you know, what is the purpose of sex and why do people have children? So this, in a sense, is a related episode to them. Um, but you know, what percentage of being a male is being a father? What percentage of being a father is being a male? I, I sort of reversed. I, I moved the subject of that sentence around, so to speak, um, um, to manipulate that question here for Swithin. But it seems like it's 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 in a sense fairly, you know, important, so to speak. Um and what do you make about the relationship Christianity has to 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 this phenomena here? We've somewhat discussed this before as well, but I think it's a topic that is worth bringing up again. Swithin? According to the uh, anthropologist and anthropologist David D. Gilmore, he argues that in all cultures uh, around the world, there's a, a general um, plank of what of um, 
of things that are considered the essence of masculinity, uh, which he calls the three P's, which are uh, provision, procreation and protection. So the ones we've put to, talked about so much so far is is provision and economic resources. The other two are, um, are, are clearly procreation and um, and protection. Now, it does seem to be the case that having children uh, and or at least. Uh, well, yeah, ha having children, having a wife is a is something that is uh, generally considered part of being a man or at least not having children, but at, at least being sufficiently um, sufficiently attractive to females uh, that uh, you can bed them. This is generally considered a male trait. I mean, a, a clear example of this, which you could consider a male fantasy in a certain respect, is, is James Bond. Uh, James Bond is a, a very masculine man. Well, maybe not in the recent films, uh, but his, in sort of the Connery ones, etc., he is sort of uh, very masculine. Um? The popular ones that do well at the box office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that definitely does seem to be part of um, of, of what a man uh, is. Um, I mean, his, if, for instance, and also with children as well, I mean, maybe not so much now. But if if if, um, if your wife can't get pregnant, then a lot of it might be oh, due, to, due, to, due to the father not being sufficiently masculine to be able to impregnate her. Um, so this certainly does seem to be uh, an important aspect. So with respect to Christianity, um, I, I, I do think that um, I think w when it comes to the men in the New Testament, well, one thing, I don't think you get the impression that they're particularly feminine. I mean, just take Jesus, for an example. I mean, the way in which he, he conducts himself and the content of his speech uh, doesn't really seem classically feminine in his discussion of the brood of vipers, etc., of the Pharisees. Um, but as to whether they're single or not, uh, they may, it's unclear. Paul may have been married at some point, but could, well, his, his, his wife had died. Um, but a lot of the single men there who sort of grow the church in the early church in, say, Acts, for, for example, I, I think it is very much of a situation of um, being like a vanguard. And I think a vanguard is tends to be single men because they have less to lose and they can focus all their time on um, on producing this outcome i mean so look at political movements of like the bolsheviks um i was i don't remember if lenin was married but or even if it wasn't have much to do with them um uh and a lot of revolutionaries are young single men uh, because they have the uh the energy and the uh passion to um to put everything on the line for for whatever they're trying to do and so i think that's true to some extent when it comes to uh, things in acts now when it comes to celibacy later i think that's a different situation because you have like a settled christian society in which you didn't have in the early in the, in the first century a.d so the situation is different um these are do you think that 
the monasteries of the medieval times and other times, and now today, are in effect harmful uh, to broader society in the sense that um, they're not they're not in the uh, they're not in the productive, uh, so to speak, gene well social pool and gene pool. I, there's arguments for and against this. You know, one of the things that's interesting sociologically is children of ministers tend to be a, uh, uh, we'll say, a schizophrenic lot. Uh, you know, one of the, this is sort of an argument I think in favor. Like, I always thought that, you know, I would never want my father to be a minister. Like, I, that if I could, if you live in, a, imagine a Rawlsian scenario, I think that's one of the worst scenarios. Like, a lot of, uh, you know, Nietzsche, for example, there's a book written by, I think, about chapters like, you know, uh, Nietzsche, for example, had a father was a, I think, a Calvinist minister of some variety. Now, he died when he was young. Um, but there's a lot of examples of, uh, of I think, Engels had a similar, well, Engels had a similar, similar upbringing as well. Um, so there is a, there is an extent which there's arguments for and against this. Um, so and I think the Christian angle has to be um, somewhat focused on because, you know, the paleos, like if you get away from the sort of, you know, the the, the, the sort of the, the social liberal whatever propaganda or whatever you want to say then you have to start saying well what should be the ideal of things so then you look to christianity and you have to sort of look at um 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 you know it's to be what you know paul timothy and you're right that a lot of these people died quite brutally like um you know i think timothy was uh, uh killed in lycus or some uh Ephesus, uh turkey um uh uh paul uh was in jail um St. Andrew was died in ex crucifix, I think. So, so yeah, you're right that there are quite, you know, risk taking, you know, macho men in a sense. Uh, that that's that's entirely the case. They're not, you know, they're not, uh, you know, social workers by no means in that sense. But I do, I do think if you look toward them. So back to the first question I asked. Do um, you think these, um, you think these monasteries as a phenomena uh, are uh, are harmful, or do you think, or do you think they are beneficial? Do you think the so to speak, clergy class should be celibate, or do you think the clergy class should be um, of the community here? Because, you know, you could argue the Anglican church is interesting in the sense that compared to the Catholic ones, um, they could uh, be married. Now, again, you could say that's all about King, you know, the, the Henry one, not the, um, the one that uh, the own uh, marriage divorces, there's certain historical contingencies of why these events happened, of course. But what do you make of that, Swithin? Uh, what do you make of like the sort of clergy class here and this its role? Should they be celibate or should they be, uh, you know, married with family? Because you could argue that one of the problems of having families, you have your own interests, not the not to speak the sort of speak the community interests here. Uh, Swithin, with respect to uh, monasteries and etc., I'm there are interesting arguments uh both sides my my intuition is to say that no i don't like monasteries because i'm from a protestant background um so that's my default position and also to say that uh, ministers should have uh sort of wives and children um which i think is i i i i i think is the seems to be the clear case from uh, the epistles um although um you, you could have other arguments i mean there there are clearly practical arguments for not being um there are clear arguments for not being married i mean you have more time to deal with parishioners etc i mean be, this does seem to be the problem of being the 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 child of a minister is that they tend to be called upon um 
so much by everybody at any hour of the day that it just seems to be the case that well basically the fathers neglect their children uh not by design it's just that uh, i think they've put insufficient um um pro procedures in place so that they can actually do their job of sort of shepherding their family rather than just shepherding the church um to monasteries i was thinking about monasteries. the reason i've been interested in monasteries is uh, i was thinking how can you make you mentioned incels uh, is how can you make uh men who um who won't single men who won't marry how can you give them some form of social status and be sort of useful members of society and so i think well okay something like a monastery is potentially useful um in certain respects um i suppose i would say the the reason I dislike monasteries is that you have to take the vow forever. So if it was the case that you thought, well, actually now we've been working most in the monastery, we found this girl somewhere and you'd like to marry, you can't. That's where I think is the issue. And interestingly, when I looked at this uh, months ago, the, the, the oath for life was what the reformers objected most to about monastic orders, as opposed to their actual construction. Um, although that said, in certain aspects of monasticism and also with the early church with the Desert Fathers, was a strain of asceticism, uh, which thought that the flesh was bad, um, which the, there is tradition in the church history for, but I do seem to think is contrary to, um, what of phrase, orthodoxy in the scriptures. Um, so, I mean, having... I mean, issue with the monasteries, um, I remember seeing a guy argue that actually a lot of the intellectual developments were focused predominantly on the monasteries rather than the universities. The universities, even back in the medieval period, were focused on more practical pursuits of becoming a doc, a physician or becoming a lawyer, whereas a lot of these sort of developments of philosophy took place in uh, the monasteries. And there does seem to be, uh, and Ed Dutton has talked about this actually with Anglican clergy, he says in the 19th century, the Anglican church clergy weren't usually pious to a large extent. They did it because they could get paid a decent amount of money and they could focus on what they were interested in. Uh, and they could just read sermons that were already written by somebody else and, you know, talk to the, the congregation, do the Sunday service and then do what they wanted. And so there does seem to be a benefit of being able to get people who are intelligent to focus on areas in which they have interest because it does yield um, uh, useful stuff. Um, I think Ed Dutton pointed out that there was, this is one of his episodes a number of, probably a year or two ago actually, on a lot of scientific discoveries were from clergy in the 19th century because like, they spent most of the time just you know, selecting fossils or collecting rocks and stuff and writing about them. Um, so, but so, so there are certain aspects of monasteries which I do think are important, although uh, I do think having so having an all-male institution, I think like that is fine for single men. That seems to pr probably has a, a place. But making one take uh, an oath for life, uh, I do think is a problem. Also, what I would say is most men, if they're actually intelligent and can earn a reasonable amount of money at some point, they're probably going to attract it to some woman at some point. Um, and so um, 
will probably be better if they reproduce than if they didn't. Uh, not not in all cases, uh, but you know, if you're not a particularly attractively looking man, but you're pretty darn rich by the age of 50, you'll be you'll be able to find some women who will find you attractive enough to marry you. Uh, that does seem generally speaking to be the case. Um, so I I think there are aspects of monasticism which I think are important, uh, but uh, that, that, that are useful. But I don't think full oath for life and celibacy is necessarily a good thing. Marriage, and particularly father, is fatherhood in the sort of modern, uh, you know, industrialized, for that matter, since the first century, Christianized or some version of that uh, concept, a form of, I'll say, enslavement, or that may not enslavement, is it in a form of a, of, of a servitude, in a sense, because you brought up the, the breadwinner thing and the obligations point in the one article you, you, you forwarded me through the document here. Um, uh, because, you, you know, single men tend to beget revolutions here, large populations of single men. So you essentially, you could argue that, you know, fatherhood is a form to control uh, men. And I, I think that's the subtext of Unwin's argument, too. Um, that's sort of, you know, you sort of harness the horse rather than let the horse run wild, so to speak. Um, and, you know, there's sort of corollary evidence for this, like in, in North Korea, for example, as well as from my understanding, China up until recently, the only people that were allowed to go abroad were um, people with, uh, uh, you, know, you see this with North Korean labor camps in Russia, is they have to sort of have, uh, they have to have a wife and children at home um, so that they, you know, they have some leverage over them. They, you know, they, 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 they run away in Dubai or wherever they're expected to work. Um, you know, their their children will be, you know, sort of speak held ransom, um, so to speak, in that sense. So, and it's a way to sort of control them as well. And they, and of course, again, this this is a phenomenon. They they work harder, they work so they make money for them at home, uh, so they have a nicer life than everyone else. Um, and uh, the, the number and uh, I guess the other point on the other side of this is going back to the clergy class. You know, considering the way that um, many of the New Testament people died, um, isn't isn't them having a children in a sense makes them you know split allegiances. They won't they won't defend the truth so to speak because the social rulers of the day will um, hold their children hostage. You know would would Timothy of of uh, you know gotten stoned to death, which is what supposedly uh, how he died. I was going to look up the history of him. Um, would he have gotten stoned to death for you know preaching in public, or would he have just stayed quiet about things? If he had his own children to be held ransom, um, so to speak, by society, um, you know, society, you know, you know, so maybe there's a sort of split allegiance. So, like the question of, you know, the, you know, the priestly class, so to speak, uh, you know, you know, you go back to risk taking, you know, in a sense, families might, you know, families might reduce the risk taking um, aspect of, uh, of, of of the risk taking aspect of men. Um, by domesticating them. So is is marriage, or more particularly fatherhood, uh, because I think, you know, I think, you know, just a man marrying a woman and having no children, they're arguably more like close friends than they are, you know, the family is a sort of multi-generation unit in that sense. Um, so is that is that way to like, so to speak, domesticate or, you know, to use harsher language, enslave? Because I think clearly one of the interesting things about modern society, and we talked about this, I think, with Rick's story, is, you know, you get the phenomena of, like, men being expected to pay out. And, you see, this is the way I think society is implicitly still expects the same thing as men, of 
They just are you expect more. Um, so you still get these huge payouts men have to pay in these sort of family court laws, and the women are still by default. So this is where the men's rights advocates, you know, form up here. So that so that thing still exists today, you know. So Swithin, what do you make of that? Is 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 it a sort of way to domesticate and control? What what do you make of that, Swithin? That's my final question here. So a children or marriage to control men, or both? Just to clarify. About how I would say both is the the answer, but you know you could you could pick which one you think. Yeah, but I, I mean, do. Well, well, I, 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 okay, fine. So, um, in a sense, yes, uh, they do, um, especially children more so in certain respects, because you have more obligations, you have more to lose, and so uh, the nail that uh, sticks out will be hammered down. So the Japanese proverb is more: you're more likely to accept being hammered down. Uh, because you um, you have to conform in a way. Um, I suppose this isn't necessarily an argument against marriage per se, but more of a case of that. Uh, well, actually, to 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 say the young men don't just sort of try and go around and try and get and find a, uh, a wife and basically simp out. Focus on uh, what you do well and get better at it. Because you can claim, well, women like competence. And if you're very competent, you'll be attractive. And also then you can perform a good sociological role when you're in the best position that you can do it. Um, whereas you can't when you're older. And I suppose as well, uh, this would be. Uh, this is also relevant for like young men being able to teenagers. You want to use the common, common language too, um, to. Um, work from a younger age and earn so they become somewhat financially independent so that they can actually um, be this uh, sort of this necessary sort of honestly revolutionary force but this sort of um, force of opposition to the status quo if it needs challenging and to challenge it well um, I mean the, the lack for instance of young men to oppose lockdowns, etc., to a large extent, was um, was interesting. Although you could argue there aren't enough of them, but that can get to a birth rate argument. Um, uh, as to uh, marriages, I, I, I suppose you could say uh, marriage to some extent um, softens men to some extent, but I don't think that necessarily means that they are um, unmasculine anymore. Although I could see. That being again, I mean, it would depend on what was expected of of the uh, the man there. Um, so I think there's an aspect of that. Um, one other thing I think we haven't discussed, although this isn't as relevant as it would have been historically with fathers. I did mention it implicitly earlier, and this is the third P I mentioned earlier of David Gilmore's, which is protection. The men have tried to protect the community. Now, what you have today is because everything is farmed out to um, the military and the, uh, the modern police, you essentially have a group of men who have, uh, and actually now disarmed, especially in England, you can't defend anybody apart from with your fists. Uh, and so I think in that respect, uh, that aspect of the father being able to protect his, his family is much more uh, worthwhile, well, has much less value now anymore because you farm it out to other people. And I would think in a um, in Ancapistan's within the stem, I think the most likely situation is for a volunteer militia to be the mainstay of any army. 
uh, I think in that sense, uh, there would be a masculinizing, um, there would be masculinizing forces at work um, so that men and fathers would be sort of uh, able militarily, relatively physically fit and can you know, shoot a gun, do general sort of military things, because that'd be required to protect the community and by extent, by, well by implication, then your family. And also actually as well in the masculizing aspect, whilst young men will probably be attracted to that, I mean, having your trying to defend your family might then give you more impetus to join the volunteer militia that you might not otherwise have decided to join. So in that respect, depending on the conditions of uh, defense services, um, family might actually have a more of a masculizing, masculinizing effect on uh, fathers and not. But clearly when you have standing armies and stuff, that's not going to be the case uh, in the same way. Although it's something that um, I think is is uh, worthy of note. Too many comments with respect to the the, the, the protection plank of uh, father. Oh yeah, the protection, protection plank by being um, farmed out to the uh, one of the reasons I think men and women are functionally equal today is thanks to that. I mean, the state basically uh, holds a monopoly on um, defense, which was not the case in the in that sort of past, in, even in the recent past, let alone the distant past. So I do I do think that in that sense, one of the you know the, the functional growth of that is of egalitarianism, some variety, it has to do with the fact that there's no I mean, it's just it's the police or the, the military that does it. So yeah, I I would agree this is a in Kappa you know in Kappa stand for the win for the uh the the paleo so so that so that's a, that's the, the, the the fact that they can't protect themselves. I do think argumentatively, you know, it's interesting enough you brought up about the lockdowns. And still today, the people who, you know, the people today who are the great um, intellectuals or uh, who defend radical, crazy ideas, for the most part, are male, uh, are men. Um, um, you know, you, you know, you could say you know, the best one, the best, you know, all the best lockdown critics, Jeffrey Tucker, Alex Berenson, and so forth. You know, they're all they're all men. So maybe even argumentatively, um, men still to a large extent play that role. Although on the other side, you know, the best, you know, the people that, you know, practice the offensive part of this are also still men or males. You know, if you think about the uh, the big villains of the um, the you know, the global uh, lockdown craze, it was probably, you know, Fauci, uh, Ferguson um, and um and so forth. So, so I think I think as with these things, there's always a sort of there are always interesting wrinkles here. But I think you know whether they can't defend with their fists. I still think um, you know on a social level, you know you see that with uh, you see it with Christianity, you see that with uh, various other policies that you know since since you can't defend yourselves so there. That's one of the reasons why I you know read a lot and uh, do this show. You know, I to a certain extent think. Well, I'm defending society or defending myself from bad ideas. Um, so, you know, since you can't use your fists here and, and gun laws in the United States are sort of creeping up so far. You know, you see this with recent things about the Supreme Court versus New York and so forth. So that that trend is continuing here. Now, again, there's other phenomena that go away. But I do think the fact that, you know, that, that physical force no longer exists for better or for worse. 
um, to some extent, you know, that that plank is just, you know, that 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 plank is just no longer exists, which is why I think the economic one, you know, morphs becomes much, much more um, much more salient. You know, like this is one of the things where in general, women don't women don't co-populate with men who make no money or make less money than them. Um, so that, that's just sort of a fast fact. And again, you can like that fact, you can hate that fact, but in a sense, that's just the way it is. I mean, I opened up with the idea that biology is, is sexist. I think this this point is arguably the same thing, too. Um, so they, there are certain facts that just exist, for better or for worse, that can't seemingly be changed easily enough here. And and I do think that if a state does collapse, um, now whether the state will collapse or not, self-defense, of the physical rioting will come back. Um, so to speak, well, it has to come back. The state no longer exists, although we make it anarcho-tyranny. Um, so, but but that's my final comment here with respect to the purpose of fathers. I did this episode as clear correlated to our why do people have children and what is the purpose of sex argument here. We sort of provide a model and a sort of a questioning answer. Because like, you move away from the sort of social liberal mindset. Um, you, you sort of have to ask like, what should be the ideal way you should do things? You know, if you want to criticize the current existing model, great. But then you have to think, well, what's the idea you should do? And that's and I, and I see a lot of the things that certain people criticize about the current society roots in Christianity or roots in ancient Greece or roots in something um, that aren't entirely alien. So that's sort of why I want to do it. And, you know, we've done sort of what is the ideal uh, uh, police what would police look like in in, in Kapistan if they would? So we, we actually talked about this on a whole episode once. So, so I don't really have any more comments on this. Thanks for doing it. If you have any more comments, that'd be great. Uh, no, that's uh, that's absolutely fine. No, I, I, I do think um, uh, men will, will be get much more social status, I think is true, if uh, society does collapse. Uh, and that's certainly true uh, because, uh, well, uh, the welfare state's gone and uh, you might get killed. Um, so having somebody who is uh, relatively martially orientated and pretty strong might be quite handy. With that, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and anyone you find, may find it of interest. The more, and um, please subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and more people can access this material. And finally, if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcryingthebittyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryingthebittyshow at gmail.com. Oh,